0: to the laravel podcast season four i'm your host matt stauffer and today i'll be talking to taylor otwell the creator of the laravel framework and community and everything else stay tuned All right, welcome back to uh, season four of the Laravel podcast, the first episode where we've got an actual interviewee. So I'm your host, Matt Stauffer. And just a reminder, this season of the podcast is going to be each episode about an individual topic that is really helpful for people who are new to the framework, but also everybody else just to make sure that, you know, we all really kind of have an understanding of all the things. And for each of these episodes, I'm inviting somebody who's a little bit of an expert in that space. And to get started, I just want to talk about Laravel itself. So of course, the expert in Laravel itself is the man, uh, the mystery, the legend, uh, Uh, Taylor Otwell, the creator of the framework Laravel. Um, And so um, we're going to just kind of get in some basic questions about what um, Laravel is about and kind of what motivated Taylor to create Laravel and stuff like that. But first, I just wanted to give Taylor a chance to just say, hey, so Taylor, could you introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Hey, I'm uh, Taylor Otwell, creator of Laravel. And uh, it's good to be here. (laughs) Thanks for coming, man. Um, So this time we're going to be talking a little bit less about your history. If you have not heard uh, season three of Laravel podcast, uh, we went into a whole bunch about Taylor's history of getting into computers and stuff like that. So I'm not going to dig into that today. Go listen to that one. But today I really want to talk a little bit about Laravel, the framework. And when I talk about the ethos of Laravel, I'm really thinking about kind of what motivates you. And if you were to think of Laravel as like like an idea, what is the idea of Laravel? And so I hope through these questions, we're going to get a chance to be able to kind of dig into that a little bit. So the first thing I wanted to say, and this is the kind of mirrors my questions I asked in Laravel podcast season three is if you have just met someone for the first time, and there might be a couple answers, maybe one for technical and one for non-technical people, how do you describe Laravel to somebody? Well,
1: most of the time I feel like in my real life, uh, quote unquote, I'm meeting usually non-technical people, either people that live in my neighborhood or whatever. And they ask me what I do. And I tell them about Laravel and I kind of just tell them it's a way, uh, to build websites quicker, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's a starting point for building web applications. Um, usually that leads them to ask like, so is it like WordPress? Because a lot uh-huh. of even non-technical people have used WordPress. And so then I, that kind of leads down the rabbit hole of, well, yep. um, not really. It doesn't have any graphical user interface or anything. So I actually still don't feel like I have a great way to explain Laravel to non-technical people. Technical uh-huh. people, it's, of course, very uh, kind of easy to talk about because there's other reference points. Like maybe they've used Rails or maybe they've used .NET MVC or some Python framework or something like that. So with them, it's
0: pretty easy. So how, how would you describe it to somebody who's from, let's say, .NET MVC who's not super familiar with Rails?
1: Yeah, usually I just say it's like, it's kind of like a .NET MVC. Um, It's a web framework for PHP, you know, and it has controllers and models and ways to interact with the database and templates, all the stuff that they would be used to, um, even in that language. Um, And usually people have some reference point unless they're just, you know, I mean... I have worked with people that basically only wrote COBOL or only, yeah. you know, use did something like that. So I guess they would have no point of reference. But most of the people I talk to, it feels like usually they've done some web stuff and they have some idea what a web framework is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And especially because with most anybody who's worked with web frameworks, you can throw out MVC and at least, you know, at least some of those terms and, you know, give them some points of reference. Um, so when, when people ask me what I do, um, and the, mm-hmm. one of the interesting things I didn't mention earlier is that I'm going to try and also be sharing and things, not just asking questions. So for those of you who are surprised, I'm talking, that's a little different this, this, this season. <laughs> um, uh, one of the things that I do often when people ask me, what do you do is I say, well, I build, you know, websites. And every time I say that, um, it's hard because they say, oh, well, you know, I've got a mom and pop or I got a whatever. And so mm-hmm. web applications has definitely been the helpful thing. And then they say, oh, okay. So what's a web application? And I often say something, well, you know, it's like something where you have to log in usually or something that powers a phone app and so that's that's often been something that really helps people understand it. i said so you know how with facebook it's not just a website you go to and read stuff you log in and you can change things in like boxes and those boxes change how other people see it web apps are things where you're actually usually interacting with something and maybe it's not you that's interacting maybe it's the the author of the post that's interacting with it and you just read the post but someone somewhere is actually like interacting with this application sort of like an app like excel and your desktop or something and that's making changes to other aspects of the application and so we build applications for people to log into like a twitter or facebook but we also build applications that power other things like for example every single time you use and i'll name some app that i think the person's interested in it'll communicate back to a a centralized computer server somewhere and that's where that data is stored and usually talking about like the definition of web applications helps because then they say oh okay cool what kind of tools do you use and you often have and i say oh well it's this language called php it's a framework called laravel And it's tooled around making it easier for us to build web apps. So there's a lot of stuff that every web app has. And so by using something like Laravel, you know, we don't have to rebuild those same pieces over and over again. They go, oh, totally, totally. It makes sense. And people who maybe know a little bit of code might ask about what a framework is. Then you can get into that, too. Yeah. And I feel like I'm
1: getting this question actually more and more often in my personal life, just because especially over the last one or two years, I think. You know, because like Abigail, my wife will share pictures on Facebook of, you know, our conference in Times Square and Mm -hmm. people see that and they're like, "Uh, okay, this is actually (laughs) kind of a a big deal. It looks like, you know, what exactly do you do? What exactly is Laravel? So I feel like I've definitely seen an uptick in those kind of questions over the last few years, whereas before... Um, you know, I don't know. People probably thought I just was lazy and stayed at home all day or, <laughs> or <laughs> yep.
0: something. Or, or at best, they're like, "Oh yeah, he's a programmer, right?" Like they're not thinking about it yeah. as your thing that you created as a as a creative entrepreneur. They're thinking, "Yeah, he sits in front of a you know computer in a in a corner closet all day long, just typing out whatever hacker mm-hmm. script." Yeah, yeah. So okay, so that's a little bit about Laravel to somebody who doesn't fully understand it. So um, I kind of want to go from there into. What is it that? So let's talk in our space. We talked a little bit about people who don't understand PHP. We talked a little bit about people who don't even understand programming a lot. But when we talk about people who are in our world, let's say they're a PHP programmer or somebody who knows all knows about Rails and knows about you know Express and stuff like that or done an MVC. As you think about those people, how would you try to differentiate? um, Laravel for them? And not to say like, you got to say everything else sucks or anything like that. But as you're talking about like, what makes makes Laravel either unique or similar to one, but not to another, like what, you know, how do you talk about that?
1: Um, I do feel like I identify more with rails than most other frameworks. And I think the things that Laravel and rails has in common is basically how they're built. And mm-hmm. both Laravel and rails are built out of Um, the specific real-world sort of concrete needs that both of the developers of those frameworks have. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of the Rails stuff is sort of extracted from the stuff they needed on Basecamp. And a lot of Laravel stuff is extracted out of either in the past stuff I was doing at Userscape or now stuff that we're doing on Forge, on Voyeur, Vapor, stuff like that. So in that sense, Laravel is very grounded in the real world, um, around Mm -hmm. real world problems, real world situations that developers are probably going to run into. Um, I think that's different than like um, libraries that are built sort of out of curiosity or like just to sort of, um, or I call it in a vacuum, you know, they're they're not really connected to any real concrete problem that the person is working on. They're just sort of built for, you know, building its sake or for fun or whatever else. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's one thing that makes Laravel pretty unique um, is that it's a major backend web framework. That's also being sort of constantly improved upon by our own usage of it.
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And, and that is, it's obvious in some of the ways you've talked about, and I will go into this a little bit later, but you've talked about how, like, one of the ways you think about building, you know, the inner interface between, you know, and and for those who are kind of new to coding, we'll often use the terms interface or API, um, even though we're not talking about building an API. What we really mean is, like, when I'm interacting, I, as a programmer, am writing my own code, so user land code that interacts with Laravel's code, what... Um, what methods am I calling and what parameters do they take and that kind of thing? And so we, when we're talking about building the API or building the interface to Laravel, that's what we mean is what does it look like for me to interact with it? And one of the things you said often is the way you write new Laravel code is you first write the interface that you want to interact with and then you make it work. And that, I mean, I, I mm-hmm. think that that's one of the biggest impacts you've ever made on me is teaching me to code like that. And, um, and so that makes a lot of sense, right? Because you can't do that when you don't know where you're going to use it in the first place. So Mm -hmm. I I love that. And you said, and you said, that Rails also has extracted much of their code out of Basecamp as well. So,
1: yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think, you know, I I do still kind of start from like, what's the ideal syntax that Mm -hmm. I want this feature to have. And I think, I think that's why I identify with Ruby as a language quite a bit is just that it seems like their language was kind of built that way in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways. Um, just the way the APIs are usually like really expressive um, and kind of read almost like prose. I feel like yeah. Laravel sort of shares some of that philosophy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's super and it's super clear. I mean, we've said this before on the podcast or I have at least, but like in in PHP, it's such a flexible language that you can write it a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And I think that Laravel's code styles and the, the syntax has has made an impact on a lot of us writing more expressive, more terse and more Ruby like um, PHP, which I, I appreciate. I love the flexibility of PHP um, and the broadness of our community or the breadth of our community. But I do also love being able to keep it you know, a little more terse. Does um, mm-hmm. so that makes sense? Um, so you talked a little bit about your um, your motivation, but I had a question here. I, I wanted to ask you what your primary motivation or inspiration behind new features is. So you, you mentioned that a lot of stuff comes out of what you're writing. Could you talk a little bit about how much of your work comes out of just extracting existing things? How much of it is planning? And, and even what do those processes look like of extracting or planning for new features?
1: Um, so a lot of like, I'll start with extracting first. A lot of stuff is like say I have a big project like Vapor, um, I usually start a project like that on the upcoming release of Laravel that's not released yet. So with Vapor, mm-hmm. I started writing Vapor on Laravel 6 before Laravel 6 was released. And in the course of writing it, I'll come across various like pain points or things that I don't feel like are easy enough in the framework. And if it's a minor thing, I might just fix it like right then in Laravel 6. Um, yeah, yeah. If it's a bigger thing, a lot of times I'll kind of more just like make a note of it, either in Basecamp or in some file that I keep track of, you know, things I want to improve in Laravel. And, you know, when I have time after Vapor's done, I'll come back to it. Um, so it. one example of that is the max exceptions property in Laravel 6, where you can say like, I want this job to... Keep retrying for like up to 30 minutes, but Mm -hmm. I only want it to have three unexpected exceptions. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was extracted out of Vapor, where we had a situation say you're doing a deployment, and we actually have a job called monitor deployment that sort of it's queued up and when it fires it sort of evaluates the status of the deployment and if anything needs to happen like if it needs to be canceled if the next step needs to run and then it will just like queue itself again with a delay of like 10 seconds got it so it actually ends up firing you know dozens of times throughout the deployment And that's fine. But if it ever gets like three unexpected exceptions, we don't want it to keep retrying after that. Like we want to cancel everything. So that whole feature was pulled. And I didn't implement that feature at the time in Laravel 6, but I sort of had it in the back of my head. And then we came back. We came back later and Mohammed helped us implement that. So that's an example of sort of extracting a feature. And then. Uh, what was the other thing? Extracting and- Or
0: just creating new features that aren't extracted. You know, sometimes you built something that don't to seem to have come out of a project. So what is yeah. that process like?
1: Yeah. An example of that would be like the new migration dumping stuff that's coming mm-hmm. in Laravel, the next release of Laravel, where it honestly wasn't something that we were really struggling with here at Laravel. Like our projects have quite a few migrations, but not enough to cause like a significant issue, like in our testing right. or, or whatever else. But it was just something that like, uh, I, on that one, like I pinged Jeffrey way and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm kind of gathering ideas for what I want to, what I want to work on for the next release of Laravel. Is there anything that stuck out to you as like a real pain point? And mm-hmm. I just did that on telegram, just kind of casually. And he mentioned that feature. And so it wasn't just him mentioning it though. It was like, people had mentioned it throughout the years, you know, and then him kind of mentioning it again was sort of the, you know, just sort of sparked me to start working on it yeah, Um, because it kind of resurfaced it. And I do that a lot with problems. Like sometimes a PR will come in and I'll close it and be like, you know, I don't think we're going to take this on right now, but if it like keeps resurfacing Mm -hmm. on GitHub, like to me, that's like an indicator that, we need to revisit it. And some people sort of take that the wrong way. Like they'll say, oh, this PR came in a couple of years ago, but it got closed. Well, yes, but we didn't know how legitimate the problem was at the time. And got it. But since it's resurfacing, you know, multiple times over a few years, hey, maybe there's actually some substance to this and we should yeah. act- actually fix it. So yeah. that that's part of how you know new features get inspired. Um, sometimes I'll just be personally curious, like about a technology, like serverless tech and Laravel Vapor, right? And it just becomes sort of a personal project and something I'm interested in. Uh, but you know, that's kind of some basic ways on how something like that happens.
0: Well, I, I love what you said about the um, the 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 queues max exceptions because I realized um, so. I've run into situations like that, and just for for anybody who was, wasn't following, what Taylor's saying is basically for a, a period of time, he wants some piece of code to be dispatched every whatever, let's say every 10 seconds. And during that time, it should be dispatched every 10 seconds, and at the end of that time, it should stop being dispatched, and it should have a, only, be, only allow a certain number of errors. So I've written stuff like that before, and it's always been kind of weird because what you're doing in my case has often been writing like maybe a cron job or something like that, that runs a certain number of times so that I can keep that kind of like, you know, fail after X number of times thing. And so it's interesting because you and men- you and um, Adam Weather have both mentioned in the past that some of the things that make you good programmers are a low um, tolerance for inconvenience or whatever the term is that you've used. Yeah. And that kind of mm-hmm. definitely strikes me there. Like I've solved that problem that you're talking about in ways I didn't like. And said, well, Mm -hmm. this is the best way to do it, right? And then kept on with my day. It's very interesting to me that one of the motivations for features for you is being annoyed by something and being willing to take the time to make it less annoying (laughs) next time, you know?
1: Yep. And we totally solved it, like in Vapor, without having the new feature in Laravel. Like, there were ways to do it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but like you said, it was just sort of inconvenient.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. I mean, people often joke about, um, you know, good programmers are lazy programmers. Um, but there's definitely something to be said there because while, while you're saying it lazy and of course there are lazy programmers who aren't good at what they're doing cause they're literally just lazy. But mm-hmm. I think there's a willingness to like, one of the things I've thought is that one of my biggest, um, personality traits is that I, um, often conform to standards that the people put on me when I may or may not value them just because I like subconsciously say, Oh, this is the, this is what I'm supposed to do. And so I just do it. Um, this is what's available and I just take it. And I love that there are some people, including you, where you look at the thing and you're like, yeah, well, I don't like it. Like, I think you have to be that type of person to create, create a framework, like to say, you know, you know, I don't like what's out there. And then that's a perfect segue into our next question, actually, accidentally, mm-hmm. which is what did motivate you to make Laravel in the first place? Like what, what made you decide to do it that way rather than sticking with Code Igniter or switching over to Ruby or something like that? Like, what was it that you think that really kind of said, no, I think the best way for Forward is me making something?
1: Well, on a, on like a pure technical level, there was really just one thing that led to that. And it was not having dependency injection and code igniter controller. Uh, You know, that was kind of the last straw. Uh, But I think, you know, a lot of it was, I had no idea of what you were supposed to be doing. You know, um, I didn't, I had no like preconceived ideas that, hey, you shouldn't build your own framework or... (laughs) or whatever else, because i had only been doing PHP for a few months yeah. and I really hadn't been in the open source world at all. But the whole drive behind building Laravel was never really to build a framework per se. It was always just to um, build out these business ideas and to launch little apps that I wanted mm-hmm. to make money for myself so that I could work from home. Um, so, I mean, that kind of goes back to Laravel being born out of very like practical Yep. Reasons, You know, um, yep. it, it wasn't really, I never set out to create it any kind of like in an academic sense or to just, just to do it. You know, I had a real end goal and the end goal wasn't even to create Laravel, it was to create some other app. Yeah. Um, but, it, it, you know, it kind of turned
0: into this whole meta thing where now I work on Laravel forever. <laughs> <laughs> but but even so, your best work in Laravel comes from the apps that you're building. And I, I was going to yep. ask you earlier, I wonder if you felt like you didn't have real commercial ideas, if you felt like you'd be able to make the, the project progress as much because you just have to make up apps to build. It. No, I don't think I could.
1: I don't think I could make it progress as much. And it would make me very nervous to work on Laravel if I didn't have real applications using Laravel. Mm -hmm. um and just because i would be guessing you know i'd be guessing at what features actually have value because i i don't have any apps on the framework and sometimes i would guess like really poorly (laughs) (laughs) and and write really complicated features that actually don't have any real world value Mm -hmm. um i think some of the other you know kind of recent libraries gaining steam in the laravel world you know something like Livewire or something like inertia or um uh, what I don't know, just whatever else, you know, those are all projects that are sort of born out of real world frustrations yeah. on like existing methodologies or existing approaches to writing apps. And so yeah. I think that's why they resonate with people is because they are mm-hmm. born out of real world situations. Um, it's hard to create things that valuable
0: if you're not like solving a real problem, I feel like. Yeah. That's interesting because I was thinking earlier when you were talking about like what makes um, Laravel different from other ones. I was going to say that you were saying how some of them are a little bit more academic um, and I was going to say but didn't like some of them are a little bit more ideological where like you said someone's Mm -hmm. creating something because they're curious. But often I think people create those things because they think there's a way something should be done. And so they make it the way mm-hmm. they feel like it should be done. And so I was like, well, what is the ideology of Laravel? And I was thinking, you know, well, maybe Laravel doesn't have an ideology, but it's kind of sounding more and more like the ideology is around like usefulness and practical practicalness.
1: Yeah. You know, practicality, I, I guess. Yeah. I don't think Laravel necessarily has an ideology in terms of like, um, should you use DDD or should you use right. event mm-hmm. sourcing or should you use even even should you use like, type hints or something like that or should you be Mm -hmm. more loose um i don't think laravel itself has any like as far as what it imposes on the end user i don't think it has any real strong ideologies um but yeah in terms of ideology of how we determine what's valuable as a feature that that is something we have and i think it is grounded in real world what what is going to make the greatest impact for the largest amount of developers, you know, when we're discussing yeah. features internally with Laravel, sometimes a feature will get pitched. And I like to just kind of think about, okay, how many, what percentage of Laravel developers is uh, mm-hmm. is this feature going to affect? You know, what mm-hmm. percentage of Laravel developers lives are actually gonna be improved by this feature? If it's 1% or 0.5% and then also it has a big maintenance burden, with this yeah. feature that that's really bad. Whereas mm-hmm. like if it's 60 or 75% and it's a pretty easy win, like yeah. it's a small amount of code, say it's five, 10 lines of code we can change. Yeah. That's really nice. You know, that's the kind of stuff we want to work on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I was just going to say, what you know, what are the goals and metrics you use as you kind of review other people's pull requests? And so, one thing you mentioned was like being very practical and helping people. You also mentioned how many people are going to want it. You know, you're much less likely to merge something in a core that is a, a, a super tiny edge case. Um, mm-hmm. And as somebody who maintains open source packages, I, I totally get that because it's so it's both tempting to do it because I think the person who needs it like will do all this work, um, yeah. and then also it's it's miserable to do it because now you're like responsible for maintaining you know that idea forever that you know almost nobody. Needs needs it adds all that complexity and you did also yeah. mention kind of the the amount of complexity that this code introduces that you all of a sudden have you know become the maintainer for so um,
1: yeah i like to think about it in terms of like you know when people talk about boxing they talk about like pound for pound fighters mm-hmm. who's the best and i think it's the same way with like pull request pound for pound like how much value does it bring and so something mm. that brings a lot of value take like the dd function pound for pound yeah. like that's <laughs> a lot of value, you know, because it's yeah. literally like one line of code, but people use it every day and it, yeah. it affects everybody. So pound for pound, that's a lot of value. Whereas like, if you have a pull request, that's, it changes, you know, 45 files in the Laravel yeah. core mm-hmm. um, and it's complicated, but it's like to support 0.7% of Laravel developers pound for pound, that's like really bad value. Yeah. Um, so I think when, you know, people ask like, I want to contribute to open source. My advice is to always like find the best, like pound for pound contribution Mm -hmm. that you can make. That's good.
0: Yeah. Um, I love that. And uh, one of the things you mentioned in terms of like uh, people's contributions, like, so, so we've been talking a little little bit more about core, but you did mention some packages that you think kind of really embody that aspect of being Mm -hmm. useful and born out of frustration. Um, I was curious if if you were to think about someone who said, okay, I'm going to do my thing. And I think that, my thing, either because you told me to or whatever, should be a package. Somebody's building a package that really does embody this um, this ethos of Laravel or ideology or how we want to think about it. Being useful and being born out of real-world frustration seems to be pretty key. Are there any other things that you think people really should keep in mind as they're writing code or packages or other things that are that should exist and really be complementary to the way that Laravel works and thinks?
1: Um, wh- one thing I've thought about recently is just... Um Sticking with the packages, like mm-hmm. a lot, it's easy to put out a lot of packages, you know? Um, but if they're not like thought out and like cared for in a way, then that that's actually not that useful. Um, yeah. like if, if they're abandoned after like a few weeks, you know, or a few months, like that's no, no one's going to feel comfortable using them, you know? And yeah. I think with Laravel, I've always tried to like everything we do is kind of, I try to make it polished from beginning to end and like actually see it through. And Mm -hmm. I mean, in a sense, like I can only do that because I have the privilege of like having full-time staff that help me do Mm -hmm. that. Now, like I couldn't do it if it was just me. So I think if it's just a single person, you know, focus on what projects can you actually see all the way through, you Mm -hmm. know, their lifetime and not, not necessarily don't, try to emulate um you know putting out new stuff every month whatever Mm -hmm. because you think that's what good open source programmers do i I wouldn't do that yeah you know even even like in the laravel ecosystem someone like um even someone like spotty or whatever they Mm -hmm. put out a lot of packages but it is an actual company with like real staff you Mm -hmm. know um so i wouldn't say don't necessarily think if i'm not putting out packages at that frequency yep i'm not you know i'm not doing things right or that's necessarily something you could aim for just aim i guess what i'm saying is aim for quality over quantity too i like
0: that yeah and i think there's embedded in that the idea that when you put something out it's um you know i've talked about this recently where I, i told um Daniel Colburn, when he first started Ziggy, I said, this is a really cool idea, but when you put this out, this is, this is your baby. And you know, like, you don't, you don't abandon your baby a a year in. And then there's going to be times when you're not excited about working on this anymore. And you've got to kind of find that excitement. And and Jeffrey actually just recently did a podcast episode about that as well. Just talking about open source maintainers and what it looks like to kind of being a good one long-term. And I, I also love your point, like Spotsy, like in part make so many packages because that's part of how they get work. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. real, it's part of their business model to make money as a result of those packages they're doing. And it's not the case for everybody else. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I love that point.
1: Yeah. I think you could also just be open about the fact if you put a package out and you don't plan on maintaining it, yep. you can always just say that from the beginning, like, Hey, here's this thing I made. I have absolutely no plans to work on it anymore, but if here
0: it is, you know, <laughs> I yeah. mean, and I think it's better just I to, to be honest, Yeah. Adam did that with that, um, that overloadable thing where he put it in a gist and he's like, I literally am putting this in a gist so that nobody expects that I'm going to keep it up. And I finally took, I said, Hey, what do you think if I put it in the package? He's like, that's fine. As long as you take the responsibility for maintaining it. And so I said, yeah, I I love people being cognizant of that kind of that burden and, and the fact that you don't have to take it on, but know what you're taking on when you do. Yeah. Yeah. So if somebody wanted to understand a little bit about what make, so, you know, we've talked a lot about Laravel and in some ways, you know, there was the right time for Laravel, the right place. You know, you, you came along and I think if you had come along as the same person, you know, 10 years later or whatever, actually has been 10 years. Well, if you came along, you know, today you, you might've had a different experience and not to say you wouldn't have done amazing things, but those amazing things may have looked different. And so there's, there's time and there's all these different elements that kind of led towards, you know, that, that are not you, but I also think that you um, are a big aspect of it. You identified things you, you know, and we talked about this last season where we were talking about like your, your attitude towards customer service. And you talked about how Coding Netter had great docs and you, you understand that building a strong community is really important. Um, I, I asked you this question a tiny bit last time, but I'd like to ask it again. If, if somebody wanted to understand and also absorb the things that kind of made you into the person that you are that thinks the way you do. Um, what are some kind of things that you would recommend that they learn or listen to or read or experience? Not to say everyone wants to be Taylor, but you know, like you're doing some things really well. What do you think it is that kind of shaped you into this way? Um,
1: <clears throat> a lot of things and they've changed, you know, over the past, I think it has been almost 10 years since I started working on Laravel cause I started yeah. it in the fall of 2010. Now oh, there you go. Um, so like, I feel like people ask me, you know, what programming books should I read or, what should I do to get better at programming? But I feel like, I I don't know if I've ever read cover to cover a single programming book in my life actually. And I feel like most of the things that were most influential on Laravel weren't programming related at all. Um, So like, you know, like things that come to mind are just like books that I've mentioned before, like elements of style was a really influential book, which is just a writing, you know, an English language writing book. But then also like deeper things, I think like lately it's been like Stoic philosophy stuff, you know, mm-hmm. reading Marcus Aurelius's meditations at the beginning of Laravel. I mean, for some people, I feel like it's awkward to talk about, but I feel like my own Christianity at the time mm-hmm. was a real driving force behind like the idea that um, in Christianity, like as a theology you know, people are sort of compelled to do their best at everything. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you can't really talk about the beginning of Laravel without, and be honest about it without mentioning that to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. like, um, you know, at the time that was a huge aspect of my life. And so writing Laravel was just another part of that where I was going to make it as good as I possibly could. Yeah. Um, so that, that would be one aspect of it. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, and then there's other inspirations that I think I mentioned before. Like I mentioned like my own, you know, my grandpa who was always kind of one of those people yep. that just like saw jobs through all the way to the beginning, just kind of like a, just kind of like a polish the back of the dresser kind of person, like, yeah, yeah. or like, you know, clean the underside of the lawnmower. Um, yeah. that was influential, you know, so a lot of non-programming things like that, mm-hmm. um, Um, you know, and those interests and sort of emphasis have shifted some over the years, but I think are still an important part of Laravel and I think are really valuable for anyone that's going to take, you know, programming seriously or kind of interested in building something like that is be inspired by things outside of programming, like great architecture, great music, um, you know, really timeless things that like people put their like heart and soul into, I think inspire Mm -hmm. me more than like a programming book. Yeah. So I I would much rather read like the biography of someone that was like totally dedicated to their craft, you know, like Uh kind of like that, um, that sushi documentary. um, Yeah. Where the guy's just for better or worse. Jerry Dreams of Sushi. Yeah. For better or worse. He's just like sold out to sushi and Mm -hmm. it, you know. it it has some negative aspects to that story. Like he doesn't really see his son as a kid, Yeah, you know, but just that alone, it's interesting to see that for me. So I'd much rather see something like that than like read uh, a programming book or an uncle Bob book. (laughs) And that's not, that's Mm -hmm. not like a knock on those people, but to me, it's just more inspiring and has like deeper
0: lessons there. Yeah. I love that. Um, and I, it's, it's funny because we've talked so many times and you told me the you know, those stories. but I think this is the first time that I've really plugged together how many of those pieces are um, about like doing something good and right and beautiful. And I love that. Mm. And that is, that is so cool. And we, we all joke about the fact that there's that like old stack overflow question where you asked, I think it was stack overflow where you asked, like, am I crazy for wanting to like align the spaces in my comments and all that in my code base, stuff like that. And people said, you're crazy. And now look where you are today. But that's just yet another early evidence of trying to do it really, really well. Um, And that's definitely something I've learned um, because when I first started programming um, with Laravel, the thing that excited me the most was actually doing stuff fast. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember building Symposium And I, Adam, I've told the story before, but Adam had just joined and I was like, hey, let's do a project together. You can work with me in Symposium. And I was ready to just go as fast as humanly possible because, you know, it's rapid application development. It allowed me to build so much faster than the app side built in CodeIgniter and stuff like that. And he's like, well, why don't we like stop and do this right? And it took me quite a while to kind of inherit and internalize that idea of like, I want every single thing associated with my name and everything that I create to be something beautiful that inspires people that people aren't annoyed by. And man, it really makes you slow down and consider things like you don't just mm-hmm. crap stuff out, you know, you're yeah. really thoughtful about everything. It takes a lot of work to do and it's a really different way of working.
1: Yeah. I think I mentioned this on the Laravel snippet, um, a few months ago where I was talking about how, um, in the, in the Stoic books, they talk a lot about how every person sort of has this obligation to contribute to like the human story, I guess, in like mm-hmm. a positive way. And some people contribute in smaller ways than others. You know, some people are kings and like emperors and some people mm-hmm. are, you know, tailors that, you know, that hem clothes, but you have to contribute in the best possible way you can. So for mm-hmm. me working on Laravel, like if I'm working on it, you know, in the best days it's almost more of like a spiritual practice than it is a programming practice where it it sounds kooky but we're like you're just trying to contribute to human society in like the best way you can because we're all sort of like flying through space on this
0: rock together in a sense i love that um anyway yeah yeah, we were, um, we've were. we been writing a little bit lately about kind of like ethos of Titan type stuff. And as I was writing it, one of the things I realized is we're often on calls saying stuff like, we just want you all to be so overjoyed that you chose to work with us. We all want you to look like heroes to your boss and stuff like that. And And it's cool to be able to be in a space where like, Uh, we're not contracting out to be, you know, make you look like a hero to your boss. People We're contracting out to be programmers, but there's so much intention and there's so much interaction and so much humanity that can be in each of these things. And, and, and I did ask that question, expecting that your answer wasn't going to be a programming book, but this is definitely, it's really a beautiful way of thinking about it. And, you know, even with like the artisans phrase, I think you've probably not, don't use artisans as much in your kind of your, your, your tooling, uh, and your, in your, your marketing stuff. Um, but even I feel like the inspiration there was around wanting to do something beautiful. Right. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, and I, I think that's really cool. Um, so if you were to look at the Laravel community over the next 12 months, and it's fine if you don't have anything for this, but I'm curious if you were to want to see a change or for something to increase or start or something to decrease or stop, what do you think that one thing would be that you would really love to see from the Laravel community this year?
1: Um, one thing I've thought about recently is I would love to see like fresh faces sort of rise Mm -hmm. to quote unquote Laravel fame. Like, yeah, I feel like, um, a lot of the people that are quote Laravel famous have kind of been around for a few years. Um, you know, you think about people like Jeffrey way, myself, um, you know, you and, and Titan and other Titan alumni like, um, Mm -hmm. Caleb or, or someone like Adam Frank. These are all people that have been around for years and they're well known, but I would like to see like new people get to that level. Um, love it. And that's why I ask sometimes on Twitter, you know, who, who do you think is doing Laravel stuff that isn't really getting the recognition they deserve? Because I feel like it's an important part of sort of keeping things fresh and mm-hmm. if it's just the same people like you know for 10 more years I feel like that's going to feel really stale and and yep. it's just it's just bad for Laravel because it kind of gets all our eggs in one basket like those people could move on to other languages you know depending on their mm-hmm. job situation or whatever else and we need fresh people to kind of constantly be coming into the ecosystem which I think there are fresh people coming in you know but like how do we lift them up and get them yeah like recognition,
0: you know, if they're love that. putting
1: putting out value.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're speaking my language here. And it was interesting because I think that the, the list of people who I have as guests on this podcast uh, season is amazing. And I, I love and respect them all. And that's going to be really incredible. But one of the things that was hardest for me is trying to look for people who haven't already said the things I'm going to ask them a whole bunch of times, you know? And mm. so, um, I, I, again, everything, every single person here, whether they've been around for five years or this is, you know, their first ever podcast episode are great. And I'm really happy with the lineup. But I just realized that I kept asking people like, well, let's say I were to bring somebody in who hasn't already been on the Laravel podcast or who hasn't spoken about this thing at Laracon or whatever, who would you bring in? And nobody knew. And that was the thing for me. I was just like, it's not as if like, I'm not looking for these people. It's as if it's like, I've asked on Twitter multiple times. I've gone back channel and just saying, who's the best person to talk about, you know, Git or whatever in the Laravel community or whatever else it ended up being. And I, I definitely think that there's something I'm interested in is like us... I think it it can't just be you wanting that to happen. You know, you've got to, you know, get a whole bunch of other people who are looking out for those people, because then when they think about, you know, who do I want to talk about eloquent? And I, Jonathan Rennick's amazing and I'm looking forward to his eloquent episode, but, um, you know, maybe there's somebody else who's doing really brilliant, eloquent work and th- that somebody in their community hears you saying this and going, wait a minute, you know what I mean? Like, kim's doing a really Mm -hmm. incredible eloquent work why have i not been you know pushing her to join twitter so she can be the next voice about eloquent eloquent and it's not as if she's going to displace jonathan or anything like that there's plenty of space you know yeah so i do think there i love that
1: there are are probably tons of really good laravel laravel developers out there that are doing really cool stuff with laravel or are really good at it that are not online at all they don't have twitter they don't blog they don't do yep. any of that and so yeah just trying to surface those people if they want to be surfaced <laughs> yep just to, yep. you know bring some fresh voices in
0: yeah and you know the what's cool is some of them might listen to this podcast so you know if you know who those yeah. people are and you're look at them and saying hey you know whether it's you it's it's you or especially if it's somebody not you i think that's the best kind of recommendation to get um and you think you know who that person is man hit me up on twitter or send me an email or whatever um, or Taylor, you know, and, and like, let us know because we're looking for those people. Taylor uh, sends out requests frequently about people. I'm always trying to keep up with lists and mentor people and, you know, everything I can. So, like, let us know if those people are there because we we understand that the worlds that we're in are only so small. And we try to be in bigger worlds by hanging out in the Discord or Twitter or at Laricon conferences. But there's only, you know, there's only so many people in those spaces. There's not the, the full breadth of the Laravel community, you know, developer community is definitely not on Twitter or in Discord or at Laracon Online or anything like that
1: yeah and it's also limited because you know we speak english and yep there are some there's some laravel superstars in their own right that like yep. only speak japanese or only speak spanish yep. and they're famous like in their country yep. or like within mm-hmm. their developer group but
0: don't really have like the worldwide recognition of other yep. people That's such a great point. I was, I was, I was like saying, like, how many non-American, non-Europeans can I find for the podcast? And I did find people, you know, who I had a sense might be talented at something, but they didn't have any material in English, and I knew, oh, and or I had, you know, talked to them and knew that they couldn't, you know, uh, do a podcast in English or weren't interested in, or felt imposter syndrome because they haven't gotten that worldwide worldwide wide acclaim, and they're saying, oh, I'm not big enough to be on the podcast. And the number of people who I thought this person's going to be a really great, you know, like intro, who I asked and were like, you know what, I feel too much imposter syndrome. I'm not going to do it. Oh my gosh. Drives me nuts. So yeah, there's, I love the idea of really kind of validating, bringing folks in. So, okay. So before I ask you your last one personal thing, uh, it's every episode this season is going to have one personal thing at the end. Is there anything you want to say to the Laravel community? I mean, I know you have your own podcast and if y'all don't listen to Laravel snippet, snippet, go check it out. Um, or any aspects of what we've talked about today that you feel like you want to kind of fix, uh, finish up on that. We haven't uh, gotten a chance to say. Um,
1: no, no. I feel like we've really covered everything, uh, you know, deeper than I thought we even would, (laughs) but, um, you know, um, just keep, uh, I don't know. I would just say thanks for using Laravel really, you know, and it's been, uh, a fun, almost 10 years of, uh, building Laravel and, you know, I hope we can, you know, make it another
0: fun and crazy 10 years. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um, okay. So the the last thing for each of these is I want to ask one personal thing. And so right now we're recording this on April 10th, 2020. Um, and I know that some of y'all might be listening this years down the road, um, but we are, I think three to four weeks into the original COVID-19 um, stay-at-home orders for most people. Um, so I don't know how it's going to end. So I don't know how y'all are going to look at these or even if you're going to use those words, but right now today, COVID-19, we're all sitting at home. We're all working from home. We're all social distancing. And so some of our lives have been upturned more than others. And I, I know that the tech community has generally had an easier time than a lot of other communities have. Um, but I was curious for you of the last few weeks with everything kind of being just hectic and crazy with COVID and things kind of being turned over, over around, what has been the, the, the best moment or what has been a moment that has really stood out to you that that has maybe been, you know, might not have happened had we not been kind of stuck at home that has really been like a bright light for you with your family or your personal life or online or something like that?
1: Yeah. I mean, we've definitely been so much more involved with the kids, I feel like, and especially with their school. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like, you know, especially with my son, James, it's been so much for the better, like because we can, oh yeah, we're just able to give him so much more attention at school, and like actually work with him on all his schoolwork, hmm. and then we've been able to do fun stuff, just like go fishing during the day or at the lake. Um, our neighborhood's yeah. kind of built built around a lake, so we can just like go down to the lake and fish for a little bit, and we just had so much more time with them, you know. And I think that's been, yeah, a huge benefit. And you know, I think it'll be something we look back on kind of fondly, you know. I mean, yeah. We, thankfully, we haven't had uh, any medical problems in the family. You know, none of my family has gotten COVID-19. Um, so as of now, you know, it's kind of been almost a positive experience for us to just kind of take some downtime and like yeah. f- focus on the family a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, so for us, it's been that's been one positive thing for sure um, because the kids haven't been to school in like, gosh, I don't know, it feels like forever now, <laughs> three three yeah. weeks or so. Three or
0: four weeks. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's the same for me too. I mean, I you know I'm still working not quite forty hours week a week, but almost forty hours, but every evening I do two or three hours of work after the kids get to bed, which means during the day I'm able to, you know, cause so my wife's an actor and so she's, you know, in a space where she, she doesn't have a lot of work, but I don't want her to just fully take over those responsibilities. And I, so I get to see the kids during the day. Like I'm not going into my office. So I'm, I'm around. And actually right before we started recording, they said, Hey, we're going to the park. Do you want to come? And I said, not now I'm recording a podcast, but you know, let's go tomorrow or something like that. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm with you. Um, and it's weird because like, of course, nobody wants to say, Hey, I'm looking at, um, you know, something that involves deaths and all this kind of stuff as a positive thing. But at the same time, you know, like, first of all, that there is positive that's happening and we can't just pretend that because there's like bad stuff, therefore the positives aren't happening. We should ignore them or not talk about them. Um, But second of all, one of the things that my wife said at the beginning of this, which I really liked was she said, I, I, I think she was reading something from a therapist or something that basically just said like your kids, you know, especially younger kids, you know, mine are three and seven. Um, they're not going to remember as much like the world more, the worldwide turmoil that you're remembering. Yeah, this time. exactly. What, what they're going to remember is that time you went fishing or that, you know, that, that silly, you know, time you stayed up and watched a movie or whatever. And so it's been cool to think about just what you're saying, like what are the memories you're making? What are the ways you're going to get to good, get good family time? Cause that's really, you know, first of all, for us, that's a positive in the light of all the news we're being overwhelmed by. But second of all, you know, for the kids, that's probably going to be more long-term impactful than any other aspect of it. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Taylor, I love our our, our chats, whether they're <laughs> recorded or not, and I really appreciate you, um, kind of the support you've given to this podcast, especially this episode, or this this season, and the prep I've been doing here. Thank you so much for hanging out, especially being the first episode. You're kind of helping me kind of drive what this season's going to be like. So, thank you for your yeah. time. Thank you for Laravel, and I want to give you a chance to plug anything you think people should check out, um, or follow or anything like that before we say goodbye. Oh,
1: gosh, I wouldn't even know. Just all the <laughs> usual stuff, you know. Laravel um,
0: snippet, Taylor Otwell on Twitter.
1: Yeah, yeah, Taylor Otwell on Twitter. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I guess the, the biggest upcoming thing is since we had to cancel Laracon US, um, mm-hmm. me and the Laracon Online team, which is Ian Lansman and Eric Barnes uh, from Laravel News and, of course, Ian at Userscape, um, are, you know, we're gearing up for Laracon Online in the summer, and which is something we haven't yeah. done before. And something I haven't really talked about is we're trying to make Laracon Online in the summer something that we do year after year and also mm-hmm. the kind of the place where I make big announcements for that year just because I love that. we feel like it's the most accessible way for people to access that around the world um, and, and yeah. to be a part of that. Because, you know, when we got to thinking about it, it was like, why, why make these big sort of feature announcements and have all this fun for... You know, at most yeah. eight, 900 people at, at the biggest yeah. year um, yeah. when we, when we could announce it to 4,000 people around the world that are having watch parties and it's more affordable and, and whatever else. So we're going to be making more announcements about that soon. I know we're having to tweak, okay. you know, the website. Um, mm-hmm. We had some really great website work done by few here in Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, and we're trying to sort of retool that for Laracon online so that a lot of that doesn't go to waste, even though we went, we really went deep into that aquarium theme uh, of Laracon US, but we're, we're trying to salvage some of that and make it work for Laracon online. So keep an eye out, you know, in the next couple of weeks I'll be tweeting about it, but, um, you know, I would encourage people to support that event and, and get your ticket to that when we announce it. Cause I think it's going to be a great time. I'm already, I've already worked on a few things that are actually done for that conference that I'm going to be announcing. Nice. Um, some, some things I've kind of hinted at and some things I haven't. So I think it's going to be a great, uh, a great event. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Yeah.
0: And um, I think it's, uh, I'm also really excited to see what, what, this being the official Laravel conference is going to do, because I do think that Laracon online of course has been absolutely amazing, but it's also been kind of like a side thing. It's not, it wasn't yeah, an officially tailored yeah. run one. So I'm curious to see how it is different, diff- different, how it's similar. So we're definitely all looking forward to it. And I also want to acknowledge to everybody that like, there's quite a few conferences that get canceled by COVID-19 that didn't, um, give all the, the money back. Um, and so <laughs> just to, just for those of us who you know, paid for tickets, Taylor, thank you for, you know, just having integrity. And, and obviously other people, sometimes it wasn't integrity. It was, you know, financial constraints, but you know, yeah. we were all grateful that you just said, Hey, I'm just going to send all that money right back. And you're going to have a, you know, a cheaper online conference later. Cool. So,
1: yeah, gosh, we were so lucky, you know, um, not to go too off on a tangent, but all that money was just still sitting, you know, in, in the Larycon nice. bank account, because perfect. the only money I'd spent was the venue deposit. And so, yeah, everything was ready to go. So yeah, I feel bad, you know, for people that organize conferences and they can't give refunds because there's no
0: money to spend it already, you with. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Especially if you had the conference, that was like two weeks ago or something like that. That was tough. Mm-hmm. So, well, Taylor, this was a ton of fun. Thank you so much for hanging out. Um, and everybody else, thanks for tuning in. Um, stay tuned for the next episode, which I believe is going to be Eric Barnes. Um, so, uh, or mentioned Eric Barnes and until then we'll see you next time.